I wonder if you've ever uh, gone up to someone and told them either something that you did or something that you're going to do and they just kind of said, you did what? <laughs> you ever had one of those moments? You did what? What did you say? You know, it's like, really? You're going to do that? Come again? You're kidding, right? Yeah, good one. Anyone had that moment? Yeah, no, that's really funny. Oh, good effort. Well, I'm going to have one of those moments today when I speak. Because on Mother's Day, I'm actually going to talk about submission. Some of you might go, well, this is going to be a bad Mother's Day. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it will be. Um, what's going to happen today is I'm going to talk about uh, submission. Because last year, what we actually did at the project is we looked at 1 Peter 3 verse 6 and didn't look at anything around that. And 1 Peter 3 verse 6 fits in between 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter... Sorry, 1 Peter, 2 verse, 1 Peter 3 verse 1 and 1 Peter 3 verse 7. So we're just going to do that whole kind of passage today. Is everyone okay? So this is just a bit of a, a disclaimer. I, I'm not going to have the time to be as nuanced as I probably would like to be in 20 minutes, okay? Uh, I'm happy to nuance things a little bit more uh, afterwards. Uh, suffice to say, uh, just uh, for the ladies' point of view, I, I, I've done some counselling and I'm in the middle of doing some counselling with people who... Uh, one, one couple in particular is very close to probably qualifying for being abused by a husband, emotionally abused by a husband. Um, so this is a really live issue for me at the moment. Okay, So I just want you to know, I'm not, I'm ho- hopefully it's not going to be simplistic. This um, was something I felt God wanted me to speak on. And uh, I kind of put it away. And uh, the reason why it's come back out again is because I've asked Sue Patterson to do the second half of the message. So I'm going to do the Bible teaching and she's going to do the application. All right? Or you can see it this way, I'll be bad cop and she'll be good cop, all right? Um, so hopefully if I get myself in a world of hurt and there's a fair chance of that, she's going to dig me out. That's what I'm hoping. Well, that's my hope anyway. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, you can uh, use your Bibles or you can read from on the screen. 1 Peter 3 verse 1 to 7. First word is what? Likewise. Likewise is kind of like therefore, all right? When you see a therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? All right? So if you see a likewise, it's like Peter's kind of going, this thing I'm about to talk about is like something else I've just talked about, and we'll get to that in a minute. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think in 1 Peter 3, what we see is at least five things about submission. Uh, It's the fact that submission is submission to an equal. The submission in 1 Peter 3 is a common submission. It's a secure submission, a busy submission, and I think a fearsome submission. Let's go with the first one. The first thing is this. The submission in 1 Peter 3 is an equal submission. Listen to this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. Quick note here, I think the easiest way to go here in terms of interpretation is just say that's physical. All right? 
uh, the weaker vessel since they are what? What's that word? Heirs. All right. That is a statement by Peter saying, when you, start, when you talk about submission, when he's talking about submission, he's not saying that someone's more important than someone else. He's saying that they're equals. All right. They're both heirs. Uh, and that's really, really important. There's no sense of inequality in what he's saying here. It's not right to say that the one who submits is, in a, lo- is a lower value person. Um, the Bible's very clear about the fact that Christians are called to submit and be subject to unbelieving government authorities and masters. All right? That's what we're supposed to do. But it doesn't make them more valuable than us. Okay? It's what God calls us to do. Jesus in uh, Luke 2 verse 51, it talks about he was submissive to his parents. And in terms of value, he is actually of far more value than his parents, but he actually submitted to them. So the submission is not a statement about value. And then when you actually get to 1 Corinthians 15, 28, you actually see that Jesus is submissive to his father. But that's not a statement about who's more valuable than the other person either. All right? So the first thing I want you to get in your head is submission is not about who's more valuable than the next person. Okay, and Peter's saying that submission is submission uh, to someone who's an equal. Number two, the second thing that Peter says in 1 Peter 3 is that the submission that he's talking about is a common submission. If you look at uh, verse 1 on the screen there, you can see it says likewise. So he's saying there's a submission that a wife needs to have to a husband that is like something else. Well, what is he talking about? Well, you know, this is a little bit, people are a little bit unsure, all right, because he said a whole bunch of things in 1 Peter 2. Let me tell you some things he said in 1 Peter 2. He's talked in 1 Peter 2 about being submissive to civil or government authorities, okay? So it might be he's saying, likewise, like the way that everyone needs to be submissive to government authorities, wives need to be submissive to their husbands, okay? The second thing that he said is he's talked about uh, the submission of a slave to a master, Okay, and the third thing he actually talks about in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2 is Jesus' submission when he was treated unjustly and how he's kind of submissive to God's plan and he trusted in God as that plan got actually worked out. Commentators uh, put their money on the civil one, to be honest. If you go right back to the civil submission that we need to have. All right, so this is the obedience to government authorities. Um, and and honestly, the, the instinct, and I'm very sympathetic to this, the instinct inside of me when it comes to government authorities, and I would imagine the instinct I, I would hear inside of females when it comes to husbands that don't always do things well, is let's get a bit of civil disobedience happening. <laughs> All right? Um, and I think Peter wants you to be careful with that. Okay? Civil disobedience is a valid expression but civil disobedience can very easily get hijacked by a heart of rebellion is that is that true i mean i think that's the case with the government so let me just pick an issue that will be really irritating for you to demonstrate this um here's an issue that is is very probably a bit irritating the speed limit on the road now you don't have to put your hands up but who here has ever driven through an area that's got a speed limit on it and you thought it was stupid and you went 20 k's above the speed limit because you thought it was dumb. All right? Now, what, what's actually going on there at that point in time is you've got some kind of civil disobedience going on, right? Because you think they've made a dumb rule about something. Is that, is that fair enough? 
you've got some kind of civil disobedience going on, but packaged in with the civil disobedience is what? I am the one who gets to decide what speed I go on the road. I'm, I'm going to be the boss in this regard. Now, you're all going to come up to me at the end and tell me all this stuff about why, you, sh you know, when you're in the country and there isn't a car on the road for the next 90 minutes, you can drive whatever speed you want and kangaroos never jump across roads where you drive and all that sort of stuff, right? I'm not, I'm not really that interested in having that kind of conversation, but I just want you to notice in all of that, right, that civil disobedience can actually get hijacked by your own willfulness or your own rebellion or your own wanting to be in charge. Is that okay? Um, do I think that there's times when civil disobedience is necessary? Yes, I do. But it's probably less than you think. <laughs> All right? So let's just bring this back a step to, uh, to what we were talking about before, about submission in a marriage, right? Are there times where husbands are going to ask wives to do things or expect them to do things that are not right, in which they need to have some kind of version of civil disobedience? Probably. Probably. But they're probably less than what you think. Okay? Um, and maybe they're more than what I think in your marriage because I don't know what your marriage is like. Okay? But they're probably less than what you think. Uh, I think Peter knows that the emperors and the people ruling at the time weren't consistently good people. But he still says what needs to characterise you as an attitude of submission, even if they're not good people. And arguably... Um, it probably even just goes without saying, I think if you go back in the day to the first century, that the civil authorities were far more brutal and difficult to work with from a Christian point of view than anything that we experience. Um, I think if you had a conversation, for example, with Peter about the speed limit, he probably uh, would smile and, and nod and probably not say that much else uh, about that. Some of you at this point might ask the question, or you might be thinking inside, what about evil husbands what about hurtful abusive husband varieties um, who make it very difficult well last thing I want to say is this if you look in the New Testament there seems to be three different understandings of the state in the New Testament so you can look at Romans chapter 13 about the fact that the state was actually given a judicial role to give honor to those who are good to society and reward them and punish those who do the wrong thing Paul kind of says it's a tool of God but there's a sense there like you just withdraw if things get tense in terms of the civil authorities if you go to 1 Peter 2 here what's what's Peter saying in 1 Peter 2 listen uh, the state can actually get to a, a place um, or an authority or they can handle things in a way where it's like the best thing for you to do rather than withdraw is just keep your head down and do the right thing okay and that's kind of what Peter's saying and then when you get to Revelation chapter 13 it's like the beast, in a sense, it talks in Revelation chapter 13, uh, the state is no longer God's servant. It's actually being dominated by something quite evil and it's just kind of seized the throne of God and the encouragement in Revelation 13 is basically don't bow down to it when it gets to that point. So the relevance of all of this is Paul's, Peter's saying, wives submit to your husbands like you do to civil authorities, but there are different types of civil authorities and it can be a maze okay which one am I in which one are we in at the moment I think probably in Australian culture we're in the 1 Peter 2 version of uh, government all right but the government's actually doing a pretty good job we just better put our head down and just do lots of good stuff and let people see see us as Christians as we do good stuff all right and it's a bit like that probably in marriages sometimes that there can be some marriages where um, it's pretty good 
it's pretty good. So put your head down and just do good, all right? But there are some, some marriages that are ex- extraordinarily toxic and caustic, um, and they might call for a different strategy in the same way that uh, the government and the civil authorities and where they're at might call for a different strategy. So what Peter's saying here is he's saying, look, in motive, in application, in attitude, um, he's not saying that you need to be submissive. Likewise, like uh, you have to, you know, model what a slave does to its master, uh, wives. He's actually saying, look, in your motive, submit to the government for the Lord's sake, um, because that's what he says. He says, submit to your master for the Lord's sake, submit to your husbands for the Lord's sake. So look through your husbands to God and follow him in the way that you handle things. He knows in application there's going to be good and bad masters, good and bad governors, and good and bad husbands. Um, But he asks for respect and submission, um, both of the husbands and the wives to the civil authorities, but also the wives to the husbands. Um, One really important point here, uh, I want to make a couple of really important points, actually. Um, Submission is always voluntary. Okay, this is really important. I don't think I can think of a time where it would ever be right for a a husband to force submission on his wife. Okay, and if you think about all the scriptures in the Bible that God talks about, where he talks about wives submitting to their husbands, I can't think of any where the husband is addressed and says, make your wife submit to you. This is really important. Okay, submission is a voluntary act. And gentlemen, you do not have the right to force your wife to be submissive. That's something she offers to you, not something that you demand from her. There may be some times, and I think there's been once in the almost 15 years that Angie and I have been married, where for her good, I asked her, I said, uh, someone had sent a very critical letter when I was an elder of a church, and I kind of got tipped off that it was coming in the mail the next day. And I said to Angie, I said, I just want you to do one thing for me. I don't want you to open that letter. Because the letter criticised her. I knew what was in the letter and I knew what it said about me and what it said about us, but I didn't want her to open it, okay? But I'm just telling you, that's the only time in my memory, (laughs) she's nodding over there, which is good, that's the only time in 15 years I've asked her to submit to me and it wasn't for my good, it was for her good, okay? Is everyone okay with that? So gentlemen, you don't have the right to demand submission from your wife. Peter actually says in 1 Peter 3 verse 7 there, and he says that you're co-heirs with your wife, he actually says that you need to honour your wife. And I want to suggest to you, if you demand submission from your wife, you're not honouring her, gentlemen. Uh, So you don't have the right to do that. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Biblical headship in a marriage is always, 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 gentlemen, self-sacrificial, not selfish or self-centred. Okay? So you don't have the right to ask for their submission and demand their submission. There's a story in the back end of the New Testament about, uh, there's one chapter of the book called Philemon. The story of Philemon is that uh, Philemon had a slave called Onesimus and he ran away and he ran to Paul. And, uh, And Paul wrote a letter to Onesimus asking for Onesimus to take him back. Listen to the way that Paul puts it. This is in Philemon 8, sorry, Philemon 8 to 10. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Hear that? I could command you to take Onesimus back. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. 
I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Do you get that? What Paul's saying is he goes, I actually have the authority to tell you what to do. But that wouldn't be loving. What's loving is for me to appeal to you. And in some senses, there may be some husbands and there may be some people who would kind of go, I actually, God's given me the authority. And I think probably in some sense, God has given the authority to the uh, husband in the house to make a call on things. But that actually isn't loving most of the time. Okay? You with me? Loving is to appeal. That's what it is. It's to talk. It's to respect and honour. See, Peter wants us to seek peace and harmony in relationships with civil authorities, slaves and husbands and wives. And he's actually talking also, and we'll get into this in a minute, he's talking also about the fact that uh, some women are married to people who don't love Jesus. And he's saying, don't be intimidated by them. Let God take care of them. Don't feel like you've got to be a wife that's a control freak where you're trying to get the outcome that you want in your family. Look through your husband to God. Submit to your husband, not for your husband's sake ultimately, but for God's sake, for the Lord's sake. See, God never made... Here's a huge call. God never made wives to be husband-centred. God made wives to be Jesus-centred. Okay? That's really important. God made wives to be Jesus-centred. So wives... You don't look to your husband and just go, he's got control over me, he's the one in charge, he's got authority, he's more important than me and I've got to do everything he says and send my life around him. No, you don't because Peter's saying you need to submit for the Lord's sake. So you look through your husband to God. You need to be Jesus-centred. God made women to be Jesus-centred, not husband-centred. You need to see through your husband to Jesus and what he's up to. Number three, a secure submission. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do, do not obey the word, so they don't love Jesus, they're not following Jesus, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do you know what this is? This is not a loud submission, but it's a very, very powerful submission. Because Peter's saying, if your husband doesn't love Jesus, he's not saying you're not allowed to ever tell him about Jesus, right? But there could be a situation in a marriage where someone's married to an unbeliever and we've got some people in the church that are in that category where it's like you could get really nagging, couldn't you? You could just kind of go, I've just got to keep telling them, telling them about the gospel and telling them about Jesus because I want them to be saved. Now, Peter's not saying not to do that, but he's saying the thing that's actually going to be the most powerful and the most useful is to live the gospel in front of the person that you're married to, Okay. Don't try to control the situation by your words. And do you see what I'm trying to say here by calling it a secure submission? People tend to nag more and get on the case of other people more when they're trying to control more and something's getting more and more out of their control. You with me? But this is a secure submission. Peter's saying, look, be really secure. Be secure in just living out your faith in front of your husband. Submit to him. And leave the end result to God. Entrust it to him. I think uh, when I was talking to Pato about this, she, uh, she made this comment, she might be saying this later, but she made this comment about how um, sometimes you could be sitting down, but with your mouth, you're standing up, you know, and there can be that kind of, it's almost like, you know, you can kind of get the yap on, and I'm saying this generally about everyone, you can get the yap on, even though you're kind of 
kind of you'd say that your posture is you're going to do what you're told but in, coming out of your mouth is just kind of like I'm not doing this you know I'm still standing up and Peter I think is just kind of saying listen just get on with living out the gospel in front of your husband that doesn't doesn't know Jesus uh, and we tend to I mean this is true for all of us isn't it we tend to be most loud when we're not getting our own way don't we and Peter's saying look just just uh, get on with living your life out. If you've got a husband who's not a Christian, get on with living it out in front of him. And you know what? That will be really, really powerful. Number four, a busy submission. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear. Peter's saying don't look beautiful, ladies. All right? Um, he's just saying you've got to work harder on being internally beautiful. All right, harder than you do on the outside, okay? But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know what that is? That is actually meekness. Do you know what meekness is? Meekness is power under control, all right? So Peter's not saying to you, you guys need to shut up, all right? And be really quiet and not doing anything. He's saying what you need to be is you need to have your power under control which is, you get that feel from the whole passage here, don't you? It's like you're in a relationship with a husband, you're married to a husband who's pretty irritating and doesn't love Jesus. What are you going to do? Well, you put your head down and you live the gospel out in front of him and you let your power be harnessed in a sense so it's, it's useful. I think uh, Aristotle or Socrates is one of them who said that uh, an ox is a very meek animal and what they're actually saying is an ox has incredible strength and when it's actually under control, it's very, very powerful. Um, which in God's sight is very precious. Don't you love that? Isn't that beautiful? Peter's kind of going, look, just work on your inner world. Work on your heart. Because God loves that. He just really loves it. And I'm sure, I'm not saying that you guys don't. I, I think you do. And I'll just encourage you. And I think Peter would encourage you, just keep working on it. Become more and more beautiful. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let me tell you what the Roman wife was like uh, in the first century. The new Roman wife swept across Rome and into the provinces. Listen to what they were like. She was no longer managing the household. She was out working. Rome was the funky modern city to live in. The population of children had dropped in Rome. Because having babies gave you stretch marks, and that was bad. This is fair income. Right? I'm, I'm not saying this is not a parable or anything. This is the first century, right? Um, they would put uh, makeup or paint on uh, to kind of make themselves look good. Dresses, listen to this one. Dresses actually became see-through, expensive material. Rather than being modest, modesty was what characterised the married woman. Uh, rather than being modest, modesty showed that the married woman was faithful to her husband. In Roman culture, at the, in the, back in the day, you wear what you wore. Doesn't change that much, has it? If you're a senator, you had a particular dress code. If you're a knight, you had a particular dress code. If you're a single woman, you had a dress code. Basically, the deal was you dress to display your identity. Can you see what Peter's doing here? He's saying... It's not about style, it's about substance. That's what he's saying. The real stuff is the heart, not the external appearance. Who here knows that fashions change? And what's attractive now, even on the runway, in terms of models, what's attractive now 
uh, you only have to go back probably 10 years and those kind of models, I mean, we'd probably, given what's on the runway now, it appears that we'd probably say that 15 years ago the, the runway models were probably a bit overweight. And you can go to some cultures and guess what? It's really sexy to have a long neck. So you put lots of brass bands around your, your neck to make your neck longer. You with me? And so you go in there. I remember uh, hearing David Powlison talk about this. He said, he said um, if you took um, a modern-day teenage girl into um, a lot of African tribes, he made the comment about this. He said, what they'll actually say, the first thing they'll say is, don't your parents love you? You know why? Because they're so skinny. Because over there, being well endowed with some size, how can I say that? Is a sign that, got, that, that your parents love you and they've got some money. Now, all of that just to say this, it's going to change again. And I think what Peter's saying here is not that you can't be beautiful, be beautiful. I think that's why God made women to have something beautiful. Yeah, I'm getting into trouble now, aren't I? But he's saying that's going to change. The fashions change. You want to lock in beauty that's coming from the inside and not be as worried about beauty on the outside. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I think Peter here is saying, Ladies, be really busy working on your heart. Be really, really busy about that. Um, he's saying here, have a gentle and quiet spirit. That meekness I was talking about before. Not insisting on your own rights. Not pushy. Not selfishly assertive. Not demanding one's, one's own way. Now, some of you might go, yeah, well, that's true of the husbands too. They need to be like that too. Yes, they do. All right? Maybe not directly in relation to their wives in the sense that Peter's talking about the same kind of submission. But do you need to have a husband who's not selfish, not pushy and not demanding of their own way? Would that make for an easier marriage? Would it? Of course it would, all right? So we're not even talking about something that, um, that doesn't apply to men also. But this is what Peter's asking the wives to do. And you know, what it, you know what I think he's saying? He's saying, because God's plan is at work, because God is up to something, because God's up to something in the, in the worst cases of civil oppression, which is what he's just talked about in 1 Peter 2 about Jesus, you can trust God. You can see through the submission to your husband to see God's plan and what he's bringing about. And I would ask you today, ladies, what do you believe is your source of beauty? Deep down. In terms of your identity, what do you actually believe is your source of beauty? Because on the day that Jesus comes back, it's your heart, it's your beautiful heart, on that day, that will be the only thing that matters. Okay? And I'm not saying the other thing doesn't matter as well. Physical beauty doesn't matter. I'm saying that does matter. But I'm saying on that day, you'll just go, how much time did I invest in the beauty of my heart? Hoping and trusting in God is very, very precious to God. Number five, I'm going to finish. You are her children if you do good, this is Sarah, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Sarah got a bunch of stuff wrong. I mean, technically, it's not a good plan to get your husband to go in and have sex with your maid 
uh, and then kind of kick your mate out and get jealous. I mean, she got a whole bunch of things wrong. But here's the thing. Sarah actually was a very, very gutsy woman, all right? So Abraham comes in after just getting this word from God that you need to go somewhere, all right? And it's a classic car argument about, you know, trying to get directions. You know, do we ask for directions or not? Because Abraham comes in and he goes, God's told us to go. And Sarah's probably just gone, where are we going? He goes, I don't know, all right? And that just makes for a perfect fight in the car, doesn't it? It's like, let's just go. Have you got the map? No, we don't need a map because we don't even know where we're going. It's, That's a good plan. Not, all right? But she is a gutsy woman, right? Because you don't actually hear from Sarah any complaint about that. She kind of follows Abraham, you know? And I'm sure there's lots of other times in Abraham's life that Sarah follows or followed Abraham. And so I think Peter's done well by saying in 1 Peter 3 verse 6 that you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, in our day especially from a male point of view. Someone who doesn't get scared of something that's really scary, we kind of respect them, right? Is that true? We respect them. You just go, whoa, you are really, really tough and I'm not going to mess with you, all right? And not because they're they're going to come and beat you up, but it's just like, you're a pretty fearsome person. So I think that's a sense in which uh, Peter's kind of saying this about Sarah. He's just going, Sarah was able to look through Abraham to God's plans and his promises Sarah wasn't ultimately feeling like she was being called to place ultimate trust in Abraham, but her trust was in God. And so when scary things came, she wasn't scared of them. And I would love, and I think it already happens, but I just want to encourage all the ladies here today, be that kind of woman, all right? Be a fearsome woman, you know? I mean, imagine, you know, we go back to what I was just saying before about the meekness, the power under control. Imagine the power of a woman like this who has power under control and she doesn't get scared of scary things. Going to be world beaters. I'm done. I'm going to hand over to Sue now, and she's just going to bring the application of it. So, Well, what a fascinating thing to be doing, talking about um, submission on Mother's Day. And um, for those of you who have only known me a small while, you don't know the journey it's been to become a woman who understands submission and uh, it's not a frightening thing any longer to me it's actually something that I can embrace because I have a real understanding of who God is in my life I have some friends here today who've known me for a long time over 25 years and they could probably say "Mm, we've seen some things about you that weren't so submissive in the past (laughs) hopefully they see something different now So, um, submission to an equal. I guess um, the thing that really speaks to me about that is um, we are equals. God has called us to be co-heirs in Christ. It's not as if um, I look at my husband as if he is the founder of all knowledge. It's actually God who I hold. And I do have to see through through him, through Colin to God. And... um, (laughs) yeah submission is really an attitude of heart it flows out of my relationship with God it doesn't actually um, have anything to do with how my husband is it's actually about my attitude towards towards God and biblical submission nullifies our right to be self-centered and competitive I would rather have um, a husband who actually um, 
if I can use this word without you getting the wrong idea, adored me than felt like he had to compete against me. I don't want to have a relationship where I'm competing against my husband. I want to have a relationship where he sees my value and loves me for that and I understand his value and love him for that. And so I see that's how we are actually co-heirs in Christ. We work together. So submitting to him is not an issue unless I feel that he is trying to lord something over me. But if he actually loves me as he's called to love, he won't lord things over me. Uh, We are of equal value but different in function. Um, And that's a really good thing. I can't do all the things that he's called to do. I, I don't think the same way he does. I'm not motivated the same way he is. I'm motivated to nurture and do things that way. He's motivated to see and much more logical. Um, But that's good. I don't need to be competing about that. I need to be able to rest in that. Is that making sense? You're all kind of like... Um, The thing that helps me... The other thing that I want to say is that um, God understands each gender perfectly. I don't have to be worrying about, oh, but... You know, maybe God's male and and he's understanding a man better than he understands me. He created me and he understands me perfectly. We are working for a common good. If I speak with honesty, when we come together on a decision, we speak honestly together. And then I know that because we're actually part of God's story, we're going to work together to, to produce an outcome. I'm not frightened to speak honestly with my husband. A wise husband is seeking allegiance with love, not with force and power. My husband is wise. He seeks my allegiance with love. And sometimes even when I struggle with some of the decisions that we're having to make, he gently comes around me and says, let's have a look at this together. And we talk about that so that we can come together as equals. We're called to submit to one another in different situations Understanding that this does not represent our value but rather displays or exposes our connection or lack of connection and trust in God. The other thing that um, God understands uh, perfectly about gender and about the way men and women are set up is that it's exactly right. Physically I am a weaker vessel and I don't want to have to prove that I'm not. I don't want to have to be competing again with him. Yes, I can do all things. When we got married, I was exceedingly independent. When he opened the car door, I'd say, don't do that, I can do it. If he wanted to chop wood, I could chop wood with him. I would compete in all of these things. And so the poor man, most of the time, was kind of like, dude, you don't even need me. What am I here for if you can do everything yourself? I had to learn how to actually be able to relate as a weaker vessel, not feeling like that diminished me, but realising that that actually gave me protection. And that has has become something I really value. I really value that he cares for me. And he, he does open the door sometimes and he does carry my bags and he doesn't want me to have to lift things I can't lift. He cares, he sees. And that's part of being equally submissive. A common submission submitting to your boss. Two of my bosses are in the room today. 
I was kind of like, oh, I have to be careful how I speak about this. Lucky the third one's not here, probably. Um, I was thinking about um, when I am using a common submission. I can submit to my boss um, because I honour him and I'm part of his team. And I can go to him and talk to him about what, what I'm feeling concerned about, but I want to seek his guidance. When, when I'm talking to Pete about things that we're doing in the church, I want to know what he really wants because I want to be able to fall in line with that. I don't want at any time to be coming in an opposition to what he's wanting to see happen because he's the head of this church. And I want to be, apart from Christ obviously, but I want to be able to endorse that in the way that I behave and in the way that I speak. So when I'm not clear on what he's wanting, I just go to him and say, hey, I'm not quite sure, what is this? I want to make sure I'm lining up with what you're wanting. So that's how I see that that works. The same as uh, my other bosses. If there's something that I'm wanting, I need to remember that wherever I'm working, they have the vision of what's going on in that place. I want to be able to do that well. I want to be able to submit rather than be rebellious. That has been a work in me. I, <clears throat> for a long time, I often think I have better ideas than the boss sometimes. And <clears throat> I can be, if I'm not wise about that, I can sow seeds of doubt into other people. And that's not a godly thing to do. I need to be able to hear the heart of my leader or the person who's in authority over me and I need to be able to trust God in that and work with that. And I can choose how I speak about that. I can either bring unity or I can cause disunity. But I see that it's really important to build unity and to trust that God is working in the life of that person. In that way, I set an example for others. And if I feel grumbly or I feel like I need to moan about that, I need to go and talk to somebody who trusts me and knows my heart and knows sometimes I might just need to spit a few things out to get it sorted. And then I need to go to God with that and go, God, deal with this attitude in my own heart. Help me be somebody who walks according to how God has called me to walk, even if it's difficult even if my boss is not so good, even if my husband is not doing what I'd like him to do. I need to be able to speak the truth in love. And it was really good what Pete said. Submission can't be demanded. I need to be able to yield to that. Sometimes that's a difficult process, learning to yield. But I really encourage that. That's... It's when we yield, that's when God can get in the picture. When I'm being rebellious and I want my way and I'm standing firm, it doesn't mean that there's not times when I need to stand firm on a point, but at the end of the day, I need to yield to that and let God deal in that situation. And that's when God can deal with the heart of the person. God can deal with what's going on in my husband. Not allowed submission, but security. The thing that I think um, the biggest thing about having security is that my security does not come in my hus- come from my husband. He is not um, he's not the thing that makes it all okay for me. 
God is the thing that makes it all okay for me. And it's in my decision to follow God obediently that, um, that makes our relationship work. Your conduct is not dependent on the conduct or attitude of your husband or anybody else, rather on how God has called you to be. I need to be responsible for how I am being, how I am acting and what I am saying. I need to be somebody who learns to love and empower without compromising my own belief or value. I need to be able to sometimes stand on what I know is right and I need to love and empower um, my husband to hear what I'm saying because I need that in my life. It's when I'm acting like a two-year-old and having a tantrum and upset about something, I need him to love and empower me and draw me back to what God's saying. That's how that really works. When I can walk that line, that's when he can see God. If I become somebody who's jumping up and down and moaning and groaning and saying a whole lot of stuff, then he's not hearing God. He's just hearing my mess. I need to continue with respect, knowing that when my attitude is godly, then God intervenes in that situation. Each time my mouth or my attitude moves away from what God desires, I get in the way of God dealing. Sometimes it's hard to be submissive when you're kind of like, there's going to be a problem if you go down that road. It's not going to end well. But sometimes you're just not heard. Well, how am I going to walk that out? I need to trust that the consequences spell clearly the error. Words often just demean and disempower. I don't need to do that. I don't need to be telling him, you made a stupid call, you're a bit of an idiot. Because the consequences of the, whatever the choice is going to be sometimes clearly displays the error. What I need to do in that place is be able to go, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Where's God in this situation? That way I am actually respecting and honouring and empowering him even if he has made a mistake in the call that he's made. I don't demean him and diminish him. Um, when we moved, <laughs> when we moved to um, Toowoomba, we weren't actually moving to Toowoomba. We were planning to move to the Sunshine Coast, and we had been planning for 18 months to move there. Um, and through a series of different things, suddenly it became clear that. Um, that choice wasn't going to go how we wanted. We had all the children booked into school. We had um, one of our daughters at university there and it became clear that actually we were going to come to Toowoomba. I was not in agreement with that decision. I did not want to move to Toowoomba. I wanted to move to the Sunshine Coast. We had everything set up to move there. But I also knew that if I stuck my heels in about moving to the coast it would have actually caused separation for Colin and I. So I had to go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move to Toowoomba. He knew that I was not in agreement, but I joined the process with a heart attitude of honouring God and trusting him without, uh, with the outworking. 
Now, that doesn't mean that I did that beautifully and perfectly in any way, shape or form. It's not like St. Susan and not so good Colin. It's just that I knew that at the end of the day, I was modelling to my children. I was also learning to empower my husband. And I wanted to see God in our lives more than anything else. So if that meant it went totally differently to how I thought and to where my heart was, I wanted to do that and I wanted to do that well. That meant that I had to go to God a lot. And every time I wanted to groan, which was a lot, because there were so many situations that I was like, see, if we just had done that, would have been all right. And every time my daughter phoned from the coast, I would be like, oh, I can't believe we're here and not there. But God was gracious and God brought us through all of that. And God made amazingly good things out of that decision, even though perhaps we weren't in the grants. So God's all about being in the mix. Can I just grab my water bottle, please, honey? Um, a busy submission. I've got to hurry. I'm running out of time. A busy submission. Um, This is quite fascinating. Allowing your worth and peace to come from what God says about you and how he has asked you to live. I believe that we live in two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God, which is um, holy, righteous, peace, joy, gentleness, uplifting, empowering, honouring. And then we have this other kingdom, which is the kingdom of chaos which is kind of what we see in the world around us. It's unholy, it's competitive, it's about proving your worth. It's tough and powerful and dishonouring and often degrading. And we have this conflict all the time about which kingdom we're going to live in. But God's calling us to live in a kingdom where peace and holiness reign. But when we are busy, we get busy submitting to all of these different things. We have busy hearts that take us away from being holy and nurturing and righteous and gentle and peaceful. We get into this busyness and sometimes even in good things we can become way too busy and we neglect the things that bring us peace. We can be filled in our hearts with doing really good things that are not actually God things. So we need to be careful about how we do that because that's the whole thing about how do we look. How do we look if we're concentrated on that, if we're concentrated on being a good mother and being involved in community and being, being, being and doing, 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 we're busy in our hearts. We're not allowing God to work in our hearts to make us beautiful from the inside. I'm really thankful that it's not dependent on how we look. Otherwise... How would it be as a woman ages? You know, you're not like you were when you're 20. You do age, you do change. If my husband was still in love with the 20-year-old me and didn't see the beauty of my heart, that would probably cause a problem. I need to remember that my relationship with God and walking that out undertakes for all of those other changes that come. So I need to make sure that my heart is not busy about doing the things that are not going to bring God's kingdom into play in my life or the lives of my family. 
Such a gentle and quiet spirit will be beautiful to other human beings, even unbelieving husbands. But even more importantly, it is something which in God's sight is very precious. I think it's really important to remember that... um, it's really important to remember that God is the thing that we're, we're about. He's about transforming us to have hearts that aren't busy worrying about how we appear but rather displaying whose we are. A fearsome submission. If God is for me, then who can be against me? I think the important thing in, in fearsome in submission is realising that as women we are about our father's business. We need to be strong on being about our father's business so that we are not distracted by the millions of things that tell us uh, that there's other things to be involved in. As women, we have to be sure about where we're going and what we're doing. We need to be prepared to speak into situations which are unjust. We need to be prepared to look after the unprotected. We need to allow God to challenge the areas in in my own life where I'm fearful and hindered by fear. I can remember um, just a little example of that is, I can just see how God's really worked in that. I don't want to be a weak vessel. I want to be strong because I know who God is. And I think God's calling us to be like that. It's not about not facing um, scary things. It's about being prepared to be fearful and face them anyway. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the determination to do what needs to be done regardless of the fear. I remember when um, I was bringing up my children, I remember feeling the incredible weight of how do I get these children to know God how am I going to make sure they do all the right things? How am I going to make sure that they um, you know, don't get hurt, don't get in bad situations, all of those kind of things? And I can remember one day having the revelation that actually it's not my job to, to be so concerned about that. My job is to pray that God encounters my children so that he becomes their God. He becomes their protector. He becomes the thing that makes their world safe. And the only way I could do that was to deal with the fear in my own heart. I need to be able to trust God's plan. And I need to be able to trust that even though sometimes it's uncomfortable, God's calling me to keep being about my father's business. I don't want to settle for what feels good to me. I want to be continually challenged to be about God's business. And if that's scary, then I have to deal with that. I have to go to him. Um, There's a scripture out of Ruth that says something um, like, uh, where you go, I will follow. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. For a woman to start to walk in that, really what she's saying is I'm going to put my trust in the God in you, that he is going to make you the man that I believe you can be and I am going to trust him and you in that process. I am going to come under your leadership. I am going to submit to your way and together I believe that we're going to see God's process in our lives. 